The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with David Wilson, CCIM, the Vice President of Real Estate Development at Ryan Companies based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and a past president of CCM Institute. He outlines the opportunities in rural and smaller markets, specifically in the industrial and warehouse sector. Wilson also details the challenges in uncertain economic conditions and how cooperation and communication are keys in closing large transactions. He also discusses his activity with CCM Institute and the value of giving back to the commercial real estate industry. David, welcome to Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, and thanks a bunch for joining the show. Nick, thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you. Now, first of all, congratulations are in order. You just closed um, a $107 million deal for industrial property in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, can you give us an idea of what the Iowa commercial real estate market looks like? Sure. You know, I mean, you know, really in, in Iowa, development deals of this size are kind of few and far between. I was obviously very, very blessed to have been able to, you know, be a part of this one and you know, I, I found my career over the last 20 years or so that I found that, you know, when an opportunity arises to be in a part of a deal like this, like something that we're doing this size and nature, you know, you really got to go all in to make sure that you win it. You know, there's a lot of projects that you don't win, but, you know, when it's in your backyard, you know, you need to kind of pull out all the stops and, and make sure that you're in the hunt and, and, you know, position yourself well to be in a place to win it at the end of the day. And, you know, thankfully we did. And, you know, for this particular project, it was a, um, you know, 278,000 square foot build a suit, you know, had a long-term lease in place. In Iowa, we're seeing it kind of like a long answer to your question, but really in Iowa, we're, we're seeing a lot of industrial happy, you know, being, you know, kind of in the heartland, you know, warehouse and distribution continues to flourish, you know, like the project I did here with, with BAE systems in, in Cedar Rapids, it's, you know, advanced manufacturing. And so Iowa is one of the leaders in the country for advanced manufacturing and so I, I really don't see, you know, this particular sector slowing down anytime soon. I think, you know, we have the the highest concentration of agricultural engineers of any state, which really obviously helps us with labor pool for, you know, these types of jobs that we have in this particular project and future projects that are going to happen here in the state. And, you know, we've also positioned our, you know, export products around the world. So we, we're doing our exportings are is very, very strong, you know, from our advanced manufacturing that we're doing here in the state. And then obviously shipping those out and going out in, in different ways, whether that's through water, rail, air, highway, all the different kinds of transportation network that we have here in Iowa makes us very strong. So you couple all those things with our talent pool that we have here in the state, because we're blessed to have three state colleges. You know, we have University of Iowa, Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, and then obviously all of our trade schools. So, we, you know, we really have the resources to provide the labor for this type of industry in our state. And therefore, makes us a very attractive industrial market for commercial real estate. You put all those things together and it really, really shows that our state's you know, ready to boom really in this industrial sector. Yeah. I mean, the common stereotype is flyover country where you think it's just, you know, cornfields and not much there, but it, it 
you're painting the picture of a much more dynamic market where you know it is not just uh, just cornfields and dusty highways. Well, that's exactly it. You know, and the thing is, is that sometimes we I like to say we're flying to the radar state. <laughs> you know, like you said, we're very much a windshield state. People drive through it all the time on Interstate 80. But there's a lot happening here, um, and I think when you stop and look at, at what's going on, there there is a lot happening here that affects the entire country and the world. You mentioned kind of, you know, with the deal of this size, there's no other choice besides going all in. If you could point to maybe one thing that you think was crucial in securing this deal, what was kind of the key to winning it? I think really for, number one, our company is very strong with with having done projects of this size and nature. Obviously, being having an office in Eastern Iowa and Cedar Rapids, we also have an office in Des Moines. So it makes us very well positioned to have the team here. Uh, we're not having to bring a team from out of state coming into our state to do the deal. You know, obviously having the team right in our backyard literally made it very attractive to them when they were selecting a group. But I think also just the complexities of this kind of a deal structure in nature made it the pool to reach into very shallow. So we were obviously uh, rose to the top very quickly just because of what we've done in the past with all of our other projects and things of this nature that really helped secure this project long-term. Kind of generally speaking, looking at other smaller markets or rural areas, what has to be in place for success in the industrial sector or across CRE sectors? Since we're kind of focused on the industrial stuff, I'll, I'll kind of hit on that just real quick. I'll use two examples. You may all be familiar with Dyersville, Iowa, right? I mean, Dyersville is where Field of Dreams is, but it's a town of only, you know, 4,000 people. And then there's a town called Piasta, Iowa, which is only 1,900 people. Both are on Highway 20. They're just west of where I am by about an hour. And the crazy thing is, is these two markets have just exploded with industrial growth. They put money into industrial parks. And basically what they've done is that they've created these great incentives for these tenants to come locate in this in these locations and two markets that you would say well how are they getting it done well the reality is is it's the transportation network of being on highway 20 which goes over to chicago goes all the way over to sioux city etc and so the reality is is that people can get here and get out as well but small towns are really happening i mean we're seeing a lot of these smaller towns just like piasta and dyersville that are being able to conduct and be able to find these types of tenants for these industrial parks and being very successful in doing so. So I think you're going to see more and more of that around the state of Iowa. And I'll just say around the country as a whole, you know, I think there's a lot of sleeper cities out there that are going to be able to attract if they have the the network uh, available to them through transportation. Obviously, with a deal this size, you know, there's there's certain challenges of scale that present themselves when dealing with $100 million versus $1 million or $10 million. Can you kind of talk about what obstacles present themselves with such a large deal? Let me start out by saying this. I, I, I kind of hate to say this, but, you know, adding a zero or two or three to a transaction doesn't make the deal any easier, or any harder. You know, it really it really comes down to how well you can really manage the relationship and really see the project through to completion. You know, I've I've had the the privilege to work on development deals all across the country, and and sometimes the smaller ones some sometimes seem even harder than the bigger ones, and it, it really just goes deal to deal. And yeah, there's more invested on the the bigger transaction, but it doesn't really make it any less stressful for the tenant or the company who's involved. You know, I mean, sometimes these smaller deals that I've dealt with in the past too are you know these mom and pop businesses who maybe have dropped everything to go into a new business and. They need to be taken care of in the same way as a big corporation that I'm dealing with here. So I like to say, you know, if you treat any of these people any differently or any company any differently, you'll, you'll never get that chance to do the bigger deal. So, you know, your reputation speaks volumes. And you know, I like to say it takes a, you know, a, life, a lifetime to build a reputation. But as you know, it only takes one day to really screw it up. On this particular transaction, you know, there were a ton of complex mechanical 
electrical issues, you know, that happened within the building. They always cause some stress, but, you know, really keeping that level head, trying to lead the team through those change orders or lease changes, they, they were so important. And, you know, I always struggled with, you know, trying not to let my stress flow throughout the organization. So, that our project managers and our superintendents and those that were on the in the field working hard each and every day felt that added stress of seeing you know the lead developers stressed out too. So you know, did I fail on that now and again? Absolutely, but you know, pulling yourself up and finding solutions was always you know kind of my playbook each and every day. And so you know, I think that's probably it. Was just the, that you're going to have those challenges, those things are going to pop up. It's just going to how you deal with it going forward. Yeah, and that's that's further proving that the business is about relationships and and kind of maintaining that among your own team. You know, maintaining that level head you spoke about, where you know it, it takes the pressure down a bit when you're in control throughout. In developing and constructing and selling a, a property like this that is so large, what was the most surprising thing that kind of jumped out at you? This project was definitely had a share of surprises. You know, and I think probably one of the biggest surprises throughout this transaction was kind of the way the market continued to shift over the past year. You know, after we developed the project and, and near the end of construction, we were going to put it on the market. And had it been about six months prior to this, um, to, to when we sold it in November, uh, we may have the opportunity to make an additional, you know, 75 to 100 basis points spread in the deal just because the market was so good. But, you know, the market shifted and with it, you know, the spread got tighter. So I think, you know, doing development deals, you know, with leases today, having a lease in place is just so much harder because of the market volatility. Having our capital markets group give me a spot cap rate guidance, you know, what we're going to, where things are today versus what it's going to be in a year or two years, depending on how long the project goes, could be completely different, you know, when it comes time to sell after the project's been built. So, I mean, it, it makes it very tough to do deals today. And so it's, it's that much more imperative to make sure that we have enough in our, in our spreads, in our early performance to, you know, to weather those storms that come up that, you know, may not be here today, but could definitely come in the future. And and thankfully, you know, our project was still very profitable at the end of the day and everyone's happy. So that's that's what you, you shoot for. But, you know, it's it's always a, a crystal ball to kind of determine what what's going to happen in the future. You work with Jenny Cooper, who is an, another CEM, who is your lender. Can you speak to what it means to, to partner with somebody, you know, who is a designee, who is, you know, a leader in her field and how much of importance that is in a deal like this? Jenny and I have known each other for years and, you know, we've been in the Iowa CCIM chapter together. We, we've served together on our local board in various capacities. And, you know, just being able to pick up the phone and, and call her and tell her, hey, we have this great project that I think Bankers Trust might be interested in. You know, that's huge. Number one, you know, she knows that what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Right. And she does the same. And that's just that's just massive. You know, you, you can't put a number to that. And, you know, we've done past projects together um, in the past and every one of them have gone very well. And, you know, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And, and Jenny is one of those one of those people. And I've always tried to do business with other CCIMs as much as I can throughout my career. And, you know, having that that CCIM lender on your side to fund a project this size was just was absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just so nice to be able to pick up the phone and get a quick decision. For those listening, all of us know that time kills all deals. Um, you know, and thankfully, Jenny believes in that, too. I mean, she knows that moving quickly helps get deals over the goal line. And I couldn't be prouder to have worked with her. I mean, it was great. And I, you know, I look, really look forward to the next deal we can do together. We're not shy about tooting our own horn, but uh, the CCM education is one thing. And it's certainly, certainly valuable. But it's also, like you said, just the relationship you develop being in, in chapter meetings, running in each other out on the road. It, it's, you know, it's more than, than just what's in the classroom. That's exactly right. But, you know, the cool thing is about that and answer, you know, kind of to follow up on that. I mean, some of my greatest friends and people that I still um, do business with and or talk with and, and associate myself with and, and know well are people that I've had from CI 101 all the way through CI 104. And you know, I took those classes 20 years ago. So it's it's uh, 
it's great. It's, a, it's, it's just a great network. Kind of backing out a bit. Um, it's the holiday season, so it's 2023 is going to be around the corner here. Um, you know, looking at development landscape, maybe on a national scale, what do you expect in 2023 and as far as challenges and both opportunities as well? Well, like anything, right? Uh, with challenges come opportunity, um, but it's a matter of how you how you hit them. And you know, on the development side and the construction side, I'll speak to that. I mean, I, it seems like to, from what I'm seeing right now, everyone's kind of these punting these projects for you know several months to kind of see where things shake out. Costs of construction obviously have been higher for for a while now. There's there's definitely a volatility in the market. Procurement has gotten better, you know, for getting materials, but we're still not completely out of the woods there. I mean, if you need a a switch gear or something for your project, it's it's going to take a while to get to your project. So, you know, I think I think companies are just really doing a lot more analyzing of the deals to really see if they can pencil them out or not. I would say though that some sectors that like industrial that we've been talking about here are continuing to boom. Um, I'd say a lot of that's due to the e-commerce online purchasing. You know, and therefore, you know, we're going to need more warehouses. We're going to need more distribution centers and to get to the product, you know, get the product to the consumer quicker. We all want things now. And, uh, you know, so in order to make that happen, you got to you got to have these facilities in the right location. So I think there's great opportunities industrial, in my opinion. Um, I do think the market's going to continue to cause its own challenges, you know, with with higher interest rates, rental constants, obviously being higher than they were a year or two ago, you know, making rental rates higher, you know, and causing tenants to hit the pause button, I think more and more. So I think there's going to be other sectors, you know, retail still been been struggling for a while. Uh, I do think there's Still tenants that are going out and doing deals, but they're being more selective. There's great redevelopment opportunities. Multifamily still continues to boom. Seniors has been kind of going back and forth a little bit here and there. It's gotten better, but it's it's you know took a little bit of a plunge, uh, but it's it's back, and I think it's it's going stronger than ever. We're not getting any younger, you know. And then other sectors like office, obviously, has been a a dynamic that we all are struggling with to try to figure out. Still, you know, how many people are going to the office, and how often are they going to the office? You know, what size office do we need? So I think those are those are things that are causing some pauses as well. So, you know, I think, you know, all in all, the commercial real estate industry, I think, is there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, a lot of money ready to be placed uh, in projects and in deals. And it's just a matter of tapping into that and, and figuring out the right time to, to deploy it and make it happen. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of the, the capital waiting on the sidelines. Is there... Is it a matter of, you know, kind of seeing a rays of sunshine in the national economy or, you know, what, is there a breaking point to when that money kind of flows back into into projects? Yeah, I mean, you know, cash is cash, right? So cash is king. Um, so those who have the cash can go out and do deals. Um, I think they're going to be able to buy properties at really good cap rates right now compared to where they've been in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, again, a lot of people are just kind of holding off. Uh, interest rates are high if you're getting any kind of uh, financing on your projects, financing rates have continued, you know, have, have continued to rise. Therefore, your spreads have gotten tighter. So it makes it much more difficult to go do deals. You know, I think I think REITs are are very cautious right now of what they're buying. Um, they still need to put product in their pipeline. They still need to deploy that capital, you know, to keep their people happy, right? But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's uh, they can slow it down a little bit, not do so fast that they're going out and making some wrong decisions on what they're purchasing. Yeah, I guess the, the final question is, you know, you've been significantly involved with CCM Institute, um, along with other organizations in commercial real estate. You know, as a former president and a current member of the board of directors at CCM Institute, what motivates you to, to volunteer your time and, and to give back in this way? Uh, that's an easy one for me. I mean, that's really, it's done, CCM has just done so much for me in my personal, my professional career. And, you know, it's it, people like to joke around. They say, oh, we're, we're really our family. And I wouldn't say joke around, but they people say it and they smile, but it's true. 
Um, you know, I, I love the friendships I've built over the last 20 years in, in here with the CCIM Institute and, you know, been involved locally and nationally. And, you know, as we talked about earlier with Jenny and others, I mean, doing business with other CCIMs is fun, right? It's something that I want to do more of in my career. And, you know, having served as the president of the organization in 2018, it, it opened doors for me in ways I never thought would even be possible. But, you know, it's, it's just given me a way to give back to this organization for providing as many opportunities as they have to me. And, you know, I never would have got it had it not obtaining my or been able to do all the things I'm doing in my career if it had not been for obtaining my pin back in 2002. You know, attending the national meetings, it, it gives me the chance to to see my friends and, and colleagues from all around the country and world and be able to find out how I can help them maybe in various deals and them and they can help me in my deals that I'm working on. And, you know, you can kind of talk through those things and network and it's really, really good. And, you know, it, it really also gives me a chance to kind of find out how my extended family is doing, you know, throughout the world. And most of it, you know, gives me a chance to laugh and have fun and, and maybe just uh, kick back a little bit every once in a while and just and catch up with what's what's going on in the world of uh, my friends at CCIM. It is a bit cliche, but it's an association that's only, you know, as healthy as its members. So if folks are, are giving back and, and getting deals done, I think that's the best of both worlds. It is. And I think I think people have to go with the realistic expectation, whether that's on the local front in the chapter or whether it's on the national side, whether or not, you know, you, you can't go in expecting that you're going to, you know, meet somebody and boom, you're going to get a deal done. I mean, that takes time. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, people do business with people they know, like and trust. And, you know, you're not going to build that trust level up day one. But I'll tell you, um, speaking the same language as it's another CCIM, it really helps speed that process up considerably. And it really, you know, makes you want to do deals with people um, that you you can speak the same language. And I think, I just think there's a great opportunity to, you know, build those relationships one at a time. And you'll be surprised at the number of deals you'll be able to get out of it. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to wrap up, just remembering how important it is to build relationships in this business. David, thanks so much for joining us and, and providing insights in your area of expertise. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for letting me uh, share a little bit about what's going on in my world and uh, the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.